have uh, an, a discrimination ordinance that protects LGBT people. There isn't marriage equality, but are things improving in Hong Kong for LGBT employees and people uh, generally? I think things are getting better, but it's it's not necessarily being done through legislative process. It's being done through case law. Um, so you see um, inheritance laws, I think, recently changed. There's one about housing that's that's changed recently for public, public housing in Hong Kong. Um, but we haven't, as you mentioned, really taken that step change on anti-discrimination um, and, and marriage equality, which are two things which are almost existential to, mm. to e equality and diversity. Well, thank you both for coming in and telling us about that. And congratulations on winning the award. That's Janet Ledger, CEO of Community Business. Robert Head, who's Director and Proposition Lead of Legal Content Solutions at Thomson Reuters. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this morning. Asian markets in general moving to the upside. The ASX 200 in Australia up a quarter of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 moving further ahead up almost one percent now. A uh, slight downturn in South Korea. The Cosby is off a quarter of a percent. Also looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 40 or 50 points lower in just uh, under an hour's time. In the commodities markets, gold is a bit firmer. $1,883 an ounce. Brent crude oil trading at $66.79 a barrel. That's it for me. Thank you very much for listening. Do join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talks. Stay tuned for Back Chats with Hugh Chiverton and Mike Rouse. Let me give you an update on the weather forecast for today. Sunny periods, few showers and isolated thunderstorms. Still going to be very hot. Maximum temperature of around 34 degrees. And there is a very hot weather warning in force. The very hot weather is going to persist in the next couple of days. Temperature right now, 29 degrees and it's 82% relative humidity. 8.32, here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. The government says around 760 residents of a private residential block in Tai Kok Choi were tested overnight after a domestic helper who lives there became an untraceable preliminary positive case with a mutated strain of COVID-19. No confirmed cases were found in the overnight testing of Tower 6 at Island Harbourview. Authorities sealed off the area from 8pm to 7am. Here's Francis Sid. Health officials said the 46-year-old helper visited Pakistan with her former employer's family in early February and returned on April the 3rd. After spending 21 days in quarantine at the Ramada Harbourview Hotel in Shaiyang Poon, the woman stayed at her former employer's residence in Chengyi from April the 24th to 29th. She subsequently moved into her new employer's home in Taikokchong. Officials said two tests to help her did in late April and early May both came back negative. But a test she did on Saturday under a mandatory testing order found her to be preliminary positive. Yesterday, authorities confirmed two new cases, one of which was locally acquired from an unknown source. The 39-year-old domestic helper arrived in Hong Kong in February and lived in Kowloon Tong and stayed at a flat in Yaomate with several other helpers. The imported case is a 20-year-old man from the United States. The United States has strongly condemned the forced diversion to Minsk of a plane carrying a Belarusian opposition activist on an internal EU flight. The Belarusian government told the pilot to land in Belarus, claiming there was a bomb threat to the aircraft, then arrested the journalist and activist Roman Protesevich. The US State Department called it a shocking act that endangered the lives of more than 120 passengers, including US citizens. Lithuania's President Gitanas Naseda says the European Union should react decisively. We should react and very decisively and immediately 
We have the European Council meeting tomorrow, and I will raise this issue in this meeting. And I will ask for additional sanctions which could be imposed on the Belarusian regime because otherwise this regime becomes too big threat for just safety of civil aviation in the world. Relatives and supporters of George Floyd, the African-American killed by white policemen in Minneapolis, are holding a rally to mark the first anniversary of his death. The event is taking place outside the county buildings where George Floyd's killer, Derek Chauvin, will learn on Tuesday how long he'll have to spend in prison. The death of George Floyd triggered a wave of protests across the U.S. and elsewhere about racial injustice. In an earlier rally in New York City, his brother Terence Floyd spoke of a turbulent year for his family. This year has been a roller coaster ride for us. And um, I'm just thankful, 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 thankful for the people, for this nation, showing so much love to the Floyd family, so much love to the movement, so much love to justice, what is right. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiwetan, your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Is it time to reopen cross-border travel and also saving our neon lights? Patrick Nip yesterday admitted there'd been confusion over the administration's U-turn on the suspension of quarantine-free entry to Hong Kong via Guangdong. Set of Health Protection originally announced that it would upgrade the risk level for the entire province and the return to Hong Kong scheme would be suspended as a result. But the government backed down hours later. Currently Hong Kongers on the mainland can come back to the city without ongoing quarantine if they have tested negative. The DAB has suggested setting up a quota-based pilot scheme initially covering Greater Bay Area cities with priorities given to residents who were fully vaccinated against the virus. Is that a good idea? And Carrie Lam now says the government will require Hong Kong residents to get vaccinated against COVID-19 as one of the conditions for them to travel anywhere outside Hong Kong. How would that work? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat and RTHK. Radio 3. You can email us backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us on 233 88266. That's 233 And after 9.15, as I say, we're going to be discussing uh, neon lights. Uh, it's estimated that 90% of the large neon signs uh, around town have been uh, switched off. Uh, so are uh, neon lights worth preserving? And if so, how would you do it? Let us know your thoughts. Uh, you can leave a message, as I say, on your Facebook page or you can email backchat at rthk.hk. HK. Uh, joining us for our first topic before 9.15 this morning, we have with us now Michael Teen, who's a legislative councillor, convener of Roundtable. Uh, Dr Alvin Chan, co-chairman of the Advisory Committee on Communicable Diseases for the Hong Kong Medical Association. And Professor Benjamin Cowling, once again, head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics in the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. Once again, our email backchat at rthk.hk. Michael Teen, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks very much indeed for, for, for joining us. So apart from the kind of uh, the, the, the U-turn issue over the uh, return to Hong Kong scheme, there does seem to be kind of confusion and mixed messages uh, ab about how we might open the border, what the conditions would be and so on, what the requirements might be uh, in, in Hong Kong and from, from the other side uh, as well. Uh, what's your reading of the situation? What would you like to see happen? Uh, usually, uh, 
I don't get exact inside information, and actually, as of this point, no decision has been made at all. But uh, I've uh, checked on all my sources, and I piece everything together, and this is uh, a rough picture. Um, the ball is actually in the, in the court uh, of uh, some judge, not on our court. In other words, um, they are considered a uh, much lower risk area than us, uh, not just because of the fact that we still have cases every now and then, uh, but because we are a uh, open international city uh, and the measures that we can adopt at our airport uh, is less stringent than what uh, they can do at theirs. So they always worry about us um, uh, so-called, quote-unquote, having leaked cases uh, through people flying in from elsewhere, mostly Hong Kong is returning uh, from other places. Uh, currently, we have 21-day quarantine. Uh, government have said that with uh, vaccination, you can have certain reduction, but they mention absolutely no condition about antibody testing. Now, that is not the case today in Macau and in uh, China. Uh, when people enter uh, China or Macau, uh, mainland, uh, okay, they uh, require uh, testing during the quarantine period, plus uh, not just the COVID testing, but the antibody testing, uh, because that is the ultimate uh, last uh, uh, protection uh, to make sure there's no cases leaking into uh, the community, especially with the uh, uh, variant, uh, the so-called mutated uh, variant. Uh, so far, Hong Kong has steadfastly refused uh, my request to uh, adopt antibody testing at the airport in addition to four times of uh, COVID testing. Why? As long as we continue with that, I don't think we can, they would ever uh, um, agree to opening up right. the border. Michael, why, why does the government ago, do not do it? What, what, is it? what reason does the government give you? Good question. Really hmm. good question. They said that no uh, airport in the world that they know of administer antibody testing, but my point is doing the 21-day quarantine. Macau's doing it, Mainland's doing it. They say uh, uh, people are not doing it at the airport, which is not what I'm saying. I have no idea what is their worry. Now, if from what I heard inside, their worry is that there's no standard that experts will back up as to what is a passing mark. Now, if that's the case, why the hell are they using it to test uh, close contact? You know that if you are close contact, for you to reduce your quarantine period, you can do that through showing the fact that you're vaccinated plus uh, passing and antibody testing. So obviously they must have some kind of a benchmark. So, you know, this is a big, big puzzle. Now, if they refuse to do that, I don't think the border will ever be open because recently there was a case of what, two days ago, that it was somebody from Hong Kong returning to China that brought this... Uh, uh, mutated variant. So you think that's the crucial issue? If there was a stricter testing regime uh, for new arrivals to Hong Kong from outside Hong Kong, then possibly they would consider opening the border north. May I say that that is a process by which it would make 
mainland feel very comfortable that leaked cases will be kept to zero. So testing during quarantine plus antibody testing is uh, a stronger uh, guarantee for having no cases leaked into the community. And if all the cases are found out during the quarantine period, it's okay with some gen. Okay, just before we put that to our other guests, um, you haven't mentioned vaccination. Does vaccination not play a part in the considerations? No, 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 I did. I did. I say in the future, if we ever open up the border, it will be open up to people who have been vaccinated plus passing antibody testing. Okay. Uh, and the mainland's doing very well now on vaccination, isn't it? It's launched a huge program. Hundreds of millions, I think, of doses yep. have already been distributed. The, the prime target is Samjan because every party secretary in the bigger Bay Area worry about their future and their job. All right? So any um, province or even any uh, jurisdiction who feel comfortable opening it with China, uh, they are looking at their own vaccination rate. Now, so far, the prime target is Samjan because they're already at uh, something like 535 Okay, and the rate is such that by July or August, they would be uh, passing 70. And 70 is kind of like a national standard mentioned by the uh, uh, Central People's Government. So Samjun is the one, uh, the, the most sort of ready to um, uh, take up this challenge. Right. Uh, 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 so, so, so maybe, maybe Hong Kong would have to kind of match the Shenzhen rate of vaccination before? No, no, I, I don't think so. Once they get 70% um, uh, uh, vaccination, so-called achieving herd immunity, and they only allow people from Hong Kong going up uh, having been vaccinated and passing antibody testing, they will feel comfortable. Okay, so right? it would just of be course, restricted. If we maintain that 20% as we are now, it may be problematic. We need to get it up to at least, what, 30 40%, something like that. But I think that could be done within um, third quarter or latest fourth quarter this year. But 70%, I doubt it. Hmm. All right, Professor Cowling, good morning to you. Good morning. Well, what, what do you make of that um, scenario? Uh, we have to think about what's the long-term aim. And I think the long-term aim for us in Hong Kong and also in the mainland is not zero COVID. That's not the long-term aim. That's the short-term aim because it's the best to protect the safety of people in Hong Kong and the people in the mainland. But that's only a temporary objective. Once the mainland as a whole feels comfortable that they've got enough vaccine coverage that COVID doesn't really pose a major threat anymore, I think we'll see them opening back up so they won't have the on-arrival quarantines anymore. They won't have the antibody testing, the requirement for vaccination, because they don't need it anymore. And that would be the same for us in Hong Kong. In the short term, we can certainly have a bubble with the mainland, but it's going to be a fragile bubble. As we've seen the bubble with Singapore, it's very fragile. The bubble with the mainland will, will also be a fragile bubble. It could be burst just by one or two cases on either side. Sorry, so the key would be herd immunity in, in the mainland? I, I, well, I wouldn't like to say herd immunity, but certainly high vaccine coverage so that COVID doesn't pose much of a threat anymore. That's right. Above 70% vaccine coverage, there's really not so much to worry about. And also at that point, if anybody can choose to get vaccinated if they want to, and you have such a high vaccine coverage, then it really can boil down to individual decisions about risk and, and benefit. And so COVID not going to uh, crash the healthcare system anymore, and individuals can be free to make their own decisions about whether they want to
want to get vaccinated it, or not. I just wonder if that how practical that is in, in, in mainland China. You could envision 70% in, in a city and in sort of the East Coast and so on. But there's a there's a lot of people there, and there's a lot of cities, and it's a, you know it's a such a huge area that you may get towns and cities and so on where there's significantly lower than than seventy. You're right about that. I think one of the other elements in in the longer term strategy for dealing with COVID uh, around the world is that there won't be any more need to count cases. For example, we don't count cases of seasonal flu, even though in some years flu can really cause a lot of trouble in our healthcare system. So I can imagine maybe not in the next 12 months, but in, in the year after that, that we'll no longer start counting cases of COVID and just keep an eye on it through other means. And so you're right that COVID will still pose a threat in some parts of the world and some parts of the mainland, but I don't think it will pose a, part from, uh, pose, pose a major threat in, in those major cities where there's most attention. Mm. Dr. Chan, good morning to you. Morning, Hill and Mike. I know you're not involved in in uh, sort of the, the po- these policy decisions, but you know, uh, as a doctor, how do you read this? What do you see as the pathway to to reopening uh, cross border travel in both directions? Yes, I think um, if mainland China is now picking up the travel engine to have the vaccination all over the country, cities at least, then I think they will achieve a sizable proportion of the population being vaccinated soon, much sooner than uh, that in Hong Kong. So uh, they would have the uh, choice to start to open the border when many of the citizens have been vaccinated. And at that time, uh, Hong Kong citizens not yet um, vaccinated might face the decision. If you want to go to the mainland China, you have to get vaccinated. Then perhaps uh, more people would have the incentive to have the vaccination. But um, I still have to wonder uh, whether mainland China could um, get the uh, vaccination up to that level. Is First, they still have to solve the problem uh, to have the vaccination over the age of 59 and below 18. Now, because um, they are just vaccinating mostly the age group of uh, uh, 18, between 18 and 39. And I, I, I think if they have the uh, um, confidence to vaccinate also the age group over uh, the 60 years of age, and then uh, in the adolescence, then the proportion of uh, uh, vaccinated population could increase susten- uh, substantially. Otherwise, uh, still, I-, I don't think they could um, be over half of the population uh, because uh, many of the citizens were not yet eligible to have the vaccination. Yeah. But if they like, uh, they are like Israel, they had already started to vaccinate the adolescents and also they, from the beginning they, they were uh, vaccinating the elderly, then it's much faster for Israel to achieve that. And uh, the second factor that might have to uh, consider uh, is that of the rate of discovery of the mutant gene, a uh, mutant variant that could uh, evade the testing and that could increase the difficulty uh, in in uh, uh, mitigating the the, the uh, mutant variants, because now uh, we really not have 
we don't have the scientific data how well the uh, the vaccines could prevent the spread of the uh, Indian uh, mutants and also uh, now there are new mutants coming out every week or every month so we are not sure uh, in the future will there be some mutants that could seriously pose a problem on uh, the detection of it and the uh, efficiency of the vaccination. So uh, especially in mainland China, we are uh, just, uh, well, we are vaccinating with the killed vaccine mainly, uh, but they are developing the uh, adenova uh, adenovirus vector DNA vaccine as a convidia, and also they are developing mRNA vaccine with the PLA uh, military uh, scientific uh, institute as well. Uh, but they are not ready for uh, extensive use uh, before the end of this year, I think. So when, the, the, when that is the case, then the picture will again perhaps change because we don't know the efficiency of uh, each of these vaccines against the new uh, mutant virus. And, and I think that is why the mainland is very stringent in controlling uh, at the entry points at the ports. And uh, that's why they don't open the border between Hong Kong and mainland China so easily. So I, I think that we have to bear in mind uh, about the mutant genes and also uh, the um, methods, uh, I mean, the uh, vaccines they are using, and also the age uh, range they are vaccinating. These are the factors that are different from those in Hong Kong. Sure. M- Michael Tin, I'm just curious, I mean, are they bothered? I mean, uh, in Shenzhen, do they, are they trying to open the border with Hong Kong, or are they uh, basically kind of reluctant? Um, if they really wanted to open the border, surely they could just pass <laughs> would, a message to... I would have to say politically, it must be the latter, but they're under pressure from the central government. Central government. Uh, the central government could open the border, couldn't it? Could just tell tell them to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right now, from what I get, it's a, it's sort of a back and forth between the central government and the uh, nearby municipality. Because honestly, if something uh, breaks out, uh, they're not going to be immune from uh, political uh, consequences. So they are being very careful, and the central government, of course cannot exert too much pressure because uh, they really don't know the situation in Hong Kong. So really everything depends on the progress in Hong Kong. That's why Carol Lam, if you notice in the last couple of months, haven't you noticed that she really stepped up the so-called internal uh, uh, process, you know, blocking out a whole district, uh, mandatory testing for a whole building, that sort of thing. Okay, so this is a reaction to uh, comments from the central government that we haven't done enough. Uh, and then right now, uh, at a radio program two days ago, I praised uh, uh, the current administration for really uh, uh, the tightening up the, the local uh, procedures when something, uh, a case is detected. But uh, the leakage remain at the airport when people come in. Mm. All right, there are still cases where it's actually somehow uh, gone through four uh, tests during the 21-day quarantine, undetected, and then something happened later at um, uh, at the community level.
And that is something that we must uh, keep to zero for a, a longer period of uh, uh, time. But, but, it, but, but, but again, if, 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 if the border doesn't open, does Shenzhen care? Do, do they, are they keen to you know, open the border to Hong Kong, or are they quite happy with the way things are, basically? But that's what I'm saying. I don't think they're that keen. Yeah. But we are very keen. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so It always takes two to tango. That's mm. the problem. Michael, why are we so terrible at the vaccination rate? I mean, the mainland spokesman was talking in the, in the media last week of achieving herd immunity well before the end of 2021. Well, we're, and we're sort of talking fair, whether we can reach... To the Hong Kong uh, government or <laughs> maybe the whole community, do, do, do you realise that Macau, having done so well and now being totally uh, uh, open... Uh, in terms of border with China, they also have, ever have a very low vaccination rate. Uh -huh. and, and Taiwan has a very low vaccination rate until the recent cases broke out and the deaths told us start shooting up and people get worried and they start going after vaccination. So um, I, I hate to say this, but, uh, you know, I'm always a straight shooter. If you are a resident of a certain uh, area, you look at vaccination, you hear all the things about the downside and the upside is okay, uh, you know, a few cases here and there every day, but the death toll remained much lower than the, the peak period of the flu. Now, mind you, all right, the number of lives we lost to COVID in Hong Kong in the last, what, year and a half, it's, uh, I think, even lower than a typical flu year uh, back to three years ago. All right, so people start weighing the ups and the, the upside and the downside, and then they say, well, maybe I should wait. All right, so the, the, one of the things we can do, and I think it's important, is a lot of people uh, have no um, economic resources to go consult a private doctor as to whether their situation in terms of their past medical history uh, is suitable for uh, vaccination. And then I heard that to get a consultation at a public hospital, forget it. They're busy uh, looking after other more dire needs. All right, so these people without a uh, credible uh, consultation uh, session with somebody they trust, they just decide not to take the risk. So I think that's where we should start. Dr. Chan? Offering okay. medical, medical uh, consultation to uh, most of the uh, you know, grassroots of people who have no access to this. Dr. Chan, do you agree? Do you think that would make a difference? Um, first of all, um, the government has already stated uh, categorically clearly that you don't need to have a medical consultation in most of the cases because uh, hypertension is not a contraindication to uh, the vaccination and uncontrolled hypertension, uncontrolled diabetes or uncontrolled heart disease or current cancer under current treatment. These are the people who might have to wait um, not to have the vaccination until they have good control of these uh, medical conditions. But if not with these conditions, in fact, all the other people could go to have the vaccination without any history of allergy reaction, and that would be good enough. So, but however, the it's a, it's a level of mistrust in the general population. They don't trust the government 
and that's why they will hesitate to go for the vaccination. So you can see in Israel, 70% of the population had gone to the vaccination, even though they had the four elections already uh, failing uh, to get a, a, a government uh, selected, formed, because they are so polarized politically. Yet, even though they are so polarized, not being able to form a government for two years, they still have 70% of the population decided to have the vaccination because they have their decision based on science. But in Hong Kong, many of the people don't have the basis of their decision on science, uh, but they have that emotion that has influenced the decision. So that's something that the doctors couldn't help. Say some some uh, uh, a grandfather of my patient had asked me to write him a letter to certify that he's not fit for the vaccination. But at the end of the day, I couldn't write for him because he doesn't have any of the conditions that deter him from vaccination. He's not happy, of course, because he doesn't want to have the vaccination, and still he does not have the vaccination even today, not yet. So I could not help changing the mind of the people who really were afraid and so fearful of the vaccination without scientific basis. So uh, we need time to convince the population and we need time for the population to build up the confidence in the okay. government again. All right, Dr. So, Thanks. Uh, so we can say, say goodbye now to uh, Michael Tin. Thank you very much, Mr. Tin, is a legislative councillor, convener of uh, Roundtable. Uh, we're going to break now for the news at nine o'clock. We will continue with uh, Dr. Chan and uh, Professor Cowling. We're also going to be talking to us about neon lights. We want to hear from you. Drop us a line. Backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, interesting uh, emails, interesting comments as well as on our Facebook page. So we will, we'll get to those after the news, before the news, the weather, sunny periods, very hot weather warning in place now. A few showers forecasts and some isolated thunderstorms. Very hot again. Temperatures up to 34 degrees. 30 degrees now. Humidity is at 82%. What is right? You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Back chat on a Monday morning with Mike Rouse and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about uh, reopening cross-border travel and uh, travel around the world as well, I guess. Uh, this is uh, uh, inspired by uh, a few recent events, that uh, confusion, that U-turn by the administration over the uh, weekend, a plan by the uh, DAB to set up a quota-based pilot scheme uh, covering Greater Bay Area cities with priority given to people who were who were vaccinated. And uh, uh, Carrie Lam, uh, sort of uh, implying that uh, Hong Kong residents will have to get vaccinated uh, to uh, travel anywhere uh, outside Hong Kong. Was talking about the uh, vaccination uh, passport, which the EU will be launching uh, very soon. Is something comparable uh, feasible here? Um, let us know your thoughts, your questions, and your comments. We have with us now Professor Benjamin Cowling, head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong, and Dr. Alvin Chan, co-chairman of the Advisory Committee on Community diseases for the Medical Association, the Hong Kong Medical Association. And later, after about uh, 9.20, we're going to be talking about uh, neon, the future of neon lights uh, in Hong Kong, uh, once uh, very much part of our street uh, landscape, now under threat. Uh, are they worth preserving? How could we do it? Backchat at rthk.hk is our email address if you want to share your thoughts, or you can just pick up the phone and call 233-88266. That's 233-88266, or go to our Facebook page as well. 
on Facebook. Kim says, if we want to encourage people to get vaccinated, stipulating it as a criteria to return to Hong Kong with reduced quarantine versus those unvaccinated or no quarantine, regardless of where from, should be implemented. Opening the borders and allowing anyone to return from China or Macau quarantine-free, even if they're not vaccinated, is a bad idea. 28 days of zero local cases won't last very long if our vaccination rate remains low. Nigel says, I wonder if you could get the British Consul General on the programme to explain why Hong Kong is on the UK amber list, whereas Singapore, with many more cases, is on the green list. Also, the UK takes no recognition of your vaccine history. Perhaps there is also a question about what the Consul General is doing to persuade the Hong Kong government to move arrivals from the UK into the same category as uh, countries such as Bangladesh and only have to go for- undergo 14 days of quarantine instead of uh, 21. Um, Kim also says good on the Health and Food Bureau for their guidelines for restaurants and bars uh, rating A should have been what we aspire to fully vaccinated, fully opening etc and not the current A rating of we have done nothing, no vaccines no tests, two to a table and we shut at 6pm on this basis why do hospitals, care homes schools, doctors, caregiving facilities not have to let the public know about their staff vaccination rates. The government department responsible for private healthcare regulations informs me that private hospitals have their own rules. Speaking to a couple of private hospitals, the repeated response I got was it's to protect the privacy of their staff and that the government hasn't made it mandatory. Come on, really? What about the protection of the young of children too young to be vaccinated or people with serious underlying medical issues who cannot have the vaccine but need to visit hospitals or doctors very regularly? Oh, I also said to them that they needn't be so defensive. I wasn't judging. I just wanted to know if it was 5%, 10%, 85%. That didn't work either. Sigh. That's from uh, Kim. Victoria says even the WHO has recently come out to say zero local infection is unrealistic. Someone continue to live in a fantasy world. And Horatio says, it's very simple, no one in Hong Kong is actually running Hong Kong. These unrealistic policies are from China. As for the co-host's comment about China vaccination rates going well, he needs to do some homework. The vaccination rate picked up because there are spiked cases in certain areas like Liaoning, uh, not because of the propaganda. That's from Horatio. Well, they certainly are doing hundreds of millions of vaccinations now. Um, The the statistics were quite impressive. (laughs) Uh, uh, okay, Professor Cowling. Uh, so, you, you know, you talked about kind of a long-term goal of uh, of achieving, you know, a high vaccination rate, uh, and therefore, uh, you know, letting, letting the border kind of uh, soften a little bit on the back of that. In the short term, um, how, how would you read this situation? How how would you, if you were the uh, the chief executive in Hong Kong, how would you persuade Shenzhen to to open its border? Because that seems to be the the dynamic. Um, I, I, I understand the, the discussion earlier about the risk to the mainland of cases of infection coming in and then causing a whole lot of, of trouble, uh, the lockdowns of city districts and enormous amounts of testing and so on. Actually, in Hong Kong, we face that same risk as well. If we have cases coming into Hong Kong, uh, suddenly there's a lot of trouble. We may need to go back to social distancing again, uh, uh, closure of facilities and people staying at home a lot more and, and so on. So it's really not an ideal long-term solution. In the short term, it's okay. I'm I'm in favor of travel bubbles with other places that have similar risk to Hong Kong. Right now, Hong Kong's with a very low level of of cases, just a handful in the past month. And so looking around the world, I think there would be no real concern to allowing in people from other parts of the world where there's also 
approximately zero cases. But the way that it's been working out is that we have to be sure that they have zero cases because we don't want any risk whatsoever. And I think that's actually a little bit too extreme, a little bit too harsh. Um, it's unrealistic. If we really go for zero risk, it's not sustainable in the long term. Right, it's not realistic to go for naught. It's not realistic. Yeah. Um, look, I'm getting a bit uh, frustrated. Uh, I see the crowds are beginning to come back to football matches in the UK. Large galleries go following the PGA tournament around the mm. golf in the US. EU saying that vaccinated people can now move freely among the 20-odd members of the community. Um, and here we're still... Lockdown, effectively, I, we can't even go to Macau for the weekend. We, we're really suffering here. I can envisage a situation where in the mainland, because, as you said, they did 100 million vaccines in the last week. They administered 100 million vaccines in the last week. That's not only because of the risk in a, in a few hotspots in the mainland. That's because they're now putting a lot of effort and time into the vaccination program to persuade people to get vaccinated. If they keep at that rate, they will have a high vaccine coverage by the end of this year and then there's no reason for them to be continuing to aim for zero covid that's a short-term aim not a long-term aim once you get a high vaccine coverage you don't need to do that anymore you can just relax all the measures let people come in anyway without quarantine whether it's hong kong or anywhere else in the world and aim to go back to normal with no looking back uh, like they're already looking at doing in europe and, and north america uh, certainly stop counting cases and stop worrying about COVID because it's no longer a threat to the integrity of the healthcare system. Okay, one more comment. This is from TC, who says, if Hong Kong's uh, vaccine hesitancy is due to the distrust of the government, then this is more on the lack of logical and critical thinking of the community. If Carrie Lam and her administration says the earth is round, do you start becoming a flat earther? If I'm the CE, I'd tell Grandpa that such low vac Sinovac vaccination rates in Hong Kong would reflect badly on China too. I'd try to convince Grandpa and Macau to allow entry without test for anyone fully vaccinated with Sinovac, uh, that's, uh, and he attaches the story uh, from uh, CNN. Um, uh, Professor Cowling, what about this idea of, of uh, restricting uh, travel outside Hong Kong to uh, people who have uh, been vaccinated? That's what uh, uh, the latest message from the chief executive uh, says, and that's as a way of protecting Hong Kongers when they come back to Hong Kong from bringing in importing the, the virus. Does that make sense? Right, well, I think the on-arrival quarantines are already doing that job for us. I, I'm not clear whether she meant in the future, vaccinated people can travel out and come back without quarantine. Or she's saying, in addition to the quarantine, everybody has to be vaccinated as well, because that would really be belt and braces, saying that you have to be vaccinated, and when you come back, you also have this long quarantine period. Um, I, I don't think that's a long-term strategy. That may be a short-term strategy to, to help us to succeed in zero COVID for the next few months, but I can't envisage that being a long-term strategy for Hong Kong. And nobody's going to travel if you've got to do this three weeks or even two weeks uh, well, when, you come, travel, when you come back. they may not come back. Yeah. I, you know, there's people missing. I, I feel very personal about this. My daughter's going to graduate this uh, next month, and I, I want to go to the, the ceremony. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it's great. I uh, will fly to California, and then I've got to have three weeks in quarantine when I come back. That's absurd. I'm fully vaccinated. She's fully vaccinated. Um, what's... Ah! <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a cry for help. 
Yeah, I, it, it's really difficult. And I, I can't see this being a, a sustainable strategy in the long term. In the short term, I understand. We've got to protect the, the, the safety of Hong Kong. We've got to try and minimize the introductions into Hong Kong. But in the longer term, it, it's not going to work. It's not sustainable. Yeah, Dr. Chan, what, what do you think about that? About uh, you know, the EU has, have, yeah. have said they're going to have a start a, a vaccination passport uh, scheme, a more formal scheme, so sort of you know for cooperation between countries. Could you imagine that happening uh, here or yeah. in this region or so on? Yes, the Hong Kong Medical Association is always an advocate for uh, effective vaccinations, and in fact, COVID-19 vaccinations so far have proven to be effective and safe. And so Hong Kong Medical Association is always urging the government to have vigilant efforts to convince the population to have the uh, mass vaccination program and to have the confidence in the uh, vaccines. And uh, in fact, uh, the uh, success of uh, Israel, UK, and even um, USA had uh, shown that the, the vaccines really did not uh, uh, jeopardize the health of the population. So I would think that uh, the government is right now uh, in picking up the turbo engine, in urging different sectors of the society to be vaccinated and even consider the uh, adolescents uh, from uh, 12 to 15 years of age to be able to uh, get the vaccinations perhaps after the summer holidays perhaps. Well, I, I agree with that. Um, of course, the ethical consideration still needs to be uh, carefully considered in the scientific committee. And uh, but, uh, from, from what is happening in Israel, I think um, it is uh, safe and scientifically proven to get these uh, age groups to be vaccinated as well. So uh, when different age groups and different professions in the society also have picked up the uh, vaccination, then I think it might be more optimistic that uh, Hong Kong could have uh, achieved, uh, say, for example, more than half of the population vaccinated uh, within this year. <clears throat> but then, of course, uh, to the level of 70 percent, it's not easier. It's not easy at all. Mm. So I would think that um, uh, I, I, uh, the mindset of the people in Hong Kong still need to evolve to the point that they really trust science and put politics and emotions aside. Mm -hmm. And uh, just like uh, our contact with many patients day in and day out, we spend a lot of time uh, discussing with the patients and the relatives the need and the safety of uh, COVID-19 vaccination. And the process is really time-consuming. But still, we need to uh, continue to do that. But uh, we could tell you that still many people were very suspicious and mm. still they hesitant. They don't want to get the vaccination, even though the restaurants or the lounge, the music uh, place that they are serving, uh, working in, demand them to have the vaccination. Okay. They still ask us to give them a certificate mm. that they don't need to have the vaccination. Okay. So we need to our number is 233 So we haven't had any emails at all. Now, I don't know if that's because of uh, some problem with our servers. Uh, if it is, I apologise uh, if I've missed
missed your uh, email. Uh, as I say, we uh, we usually get about thirty emails or something, but there aren't, there aren't any uh, at the moment. So maybe that's your fault. Maybe it's ours. Uh, we'll, we'll find out. But we do have a caller on the line now, Jim. I think Jim. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning, Hugh. It's uh, Jim Middleton from Clearly. I um I was listening this morning uh, and. Uh, about this mistrust of the government. Uh, on RTHK News, um, there was a posting a couple of weeks ago, and C.Y. Learn boasted that he had been, in the past six months, 36 times he crossed the border into China. He visited 17 cities, and during this period, there were no vaccines. So that means, and he also boasted that because of his status, he didn't have to uh, enter quarantine either here or in China. Now, is there any wonder that the government is not trusted when you have former officials like this, and no doubt many others, including Carrie Lam going to Beijing or wherever she went to recently in, into China. Uh, if you're fully vaccinated, uh, being a government official, or whether you're a normal person, member of the public, what is the difference? Secondly, uh, this is a, a city built on business. The government should realize the cost of putting somebody in an ICU is horrendous. Why don't they just offer everybody $2,000 to go and queue up and get, get jabbed? I mean, quite honestly, that, that's minimal money for getting people to reach the, the, the herd immunity. And they, they need to get some nurse. They seem to have no nurse in government. You know, they have the guy saying this, and then we're going to do that, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And then immediately, as people said before, you're never going to get down to zero infections with this thing. It's going to be like the, the annual flu. Mm. This thing will keep appearing and appearing. And the, the sooner people get vaccinated, the, the better it's going to be. Okay, Jim, many, many thanks for your thoughts, uh, your, your comments. 233-88266 is our number. We've had another off-air off, off call, uh, which maybe Dr. Chan you could, you could address. Uh, the caller wanted to know whether doctors are required to do regular testing. What is the requirement for doctors, Dr. Chan? Uh, now, there are no uh, requirements from the government to to have mandatory testing. That's for, quite weird, uh, isn't it? I mean, doctors and, uh, don't have to do testing? There's only 30% uh, have been vaccinated in the HA staff. Um, it, I think HA staff uh, should be uh, tested uh, regularly. What we are talking about, perhaps, are other doctors serving in private sector. Uh, there's no uh, requirement uh, for testing. I'm not sure about the requirements in the HA, uh, but I'm sure that uh, for our own safety, we would like to be tested and uh, even vaccinated uh, for, for many of the uh, professionals. Uh, I myself have been vaccinated, of course, uh, but then um, I, I think uh, it's not mandatory for the health professionals to get vaccinated or to have the regular testing. So um, I could see the reason behind that, uh, of course, uh, for those serving in the elderly homes, they need to be tested or they need to be uh, vaccinated. For those now serving in the health industry, for, for, for the uh, hospital settings, uh, for the frontline doctors, I think to protect ourselves and to protect the patients is sensible 
to have regular testing or vaccination. Okay. So I, I do agree with uh, this consideration. All right. Well, Dr. Chan, many thanks for joining us. Alvin Chan there, uh, co-chair of the uh, Advisory Committee on Communicable Diseases for the Medical Association. And many thanks once again to Professor Benjamin Cowling, head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the University of Hong Kong's School of Public Health. Thank you very much indeed. And to all those who uh, who sent uh, messages, at least the Facebook ones, as I say, uh, we might have a problem with the, with the emails. So I, I apologise for that, so we can sort it out. Um, later, we want to turn finally today to the future of uh, neon lights, um, a part of uh, the, uh, the the image of uh, Hong Kong, part of the life of uh, Hong Kong. Um, there are uh, claims that uh, they are now severely uh, under threat. It's estimated that around 90% of our large neon lights have been um, switched off uh, for one reason or another. Um, some people are trying to keep them, among them the Tetra Neon Exchange. Uh, from the exchange, we're joined now by uh, Cardin Chan. Uh, Ms Chan, good morning to you. Thank you for having me. Thanks very much indeed for, for joining us. Tell us about this problem then. I mean, you know, what's actually happened uh, on the streets? Uh, uh, they're being replaced by LED lights, is that right, basically? Uh, I think um, it's, it's quite a broad question. Uh, I think um, the disappearance of neon actually happened because of, like, a combination of reasons. I mean, LEDs for sure is one of them. And also because, I mean... I, I, the, building, the buildings department actually rolled out like um, a, 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 a stringent set of regulations back in 2010, uh, which is related to uh, the minor works control system. Uh, because, like, um, I think most of the, the majority of the neon signs were signboard in uh, across the board. I think um, when they were erected back in those days. Um, they were not actually, most of them were not approved by, like, government officials. So I think um, they are, but I think different departments in the past, like, uh, were responsible for taking actions. But, um, I mean, it, it, it actually was quite difficult for them to come together to, uh, uh, in terms of execution. Oh, I mean, so, to, be, to be fair, were they unsafe, really? Was that, you know, is it only right that they be taken down because they weren't safe? Well, I mean, like, to a certain extent, I think it is a fair action because, I mean, as we could imagine, like a lot of signs actually have been exposed to different weather conditions for years. Mm. I mean, but having said that, if the signs were erected correctly and they have been maintained regularly, as like many of the store owners actually have been doing, I think they are actually, um, there, there, there may be room like, uh, uh, to stay, you know. But, of course, this is something like we don't actually take it very lightly. We is, need to actually investigate, you know. Is it partly a subdued retail mood? Um, sorry, I can't hear you, sorry. Is it a, a, a subdued retail mood? There's no, the re there's no tourists, so people are not going shopping so much. They don't need to be jazzed up by bright lights. I, I think... Uh, my, we need to actually look a bit deeper. For example, I think these days, um, most of the neon signs are attached to all buildings. And also the buildings are located in like areas that usually uh, are waiting to be gentrified, right? So when the buildings and then also the stores or, or the, or I could actually say this, I mean, most of the businesses that have got neon signs still, they are the more traditional ones. Um, so when these actually businesses could not actually sustain themselves or the buildings could not actually sustain themselves, 
uh, neon signs would actually go with them as well. Of course, like uh, for example, like COVID does actually may speed up this process as well because some of the the the, the businesses like they they have been thinking about retiring or closing down already, and then of course like COVID doesn't actually help and also may actually um, make them decide maybe it's the best time to, for them to go. So uh, basically, we have been dealing like quite a lot of urgent cases recently. I think a lot of people, you know, feel very fond and nostalgic about about the uh, the neon lights. But can you preserve them if they're part of the street? How do you how do you do that? Don't they, aren't they just going to get swept away in time? I I think at the moment, uh, based on the policy, current policies in place, it's a bit difficult for us to preserve like neon signs in the street. Even though I think this is the best habitat for neon signs. That's why we have we have been raising against time, like to try to save the signs that need to come down. At least we have got like the physical sign ourselves, and then in time, when we have more resources, we will be able to employ like local artisans or or like craftsmen to actually restore them, and then in uh, like in the future, we could actually exhibit them in, in, a, in a museum or something. You mean? Uh, probably like an outdoor area because I. I mean, if you ask me personally, I think when something you could actually see in a museum, it means like it's no longer like surviving or living in our mm. daily life. Um, so we would like to actually maybe change like the setting, you know, like because I think neon signs, especially the, the, the traditional big ones, they are they, they look the nicest um, uh, in the outdoor setting. Is there a danger we could be left with? Lots and lots of basically dead signs just hanging up. You mean like in the streets? Yes. Uh, no, because I think BDs have been like taking actions like uh, to take down the signs that are no longer in use. Right. So, so that's, a, that's been, they're actually doing that. Because I remember been doing that, yes. there was a, lo a long period of time when there were complaints they weren't doing that. And that signs, <laughs> signs were dangerous because of typhoons. And right. so on, and uh, scaffolding couldn't be put up. Right. I, I, I mean, as far as I know, they have been taking actions against that because we noticed like a lot of signs have been disappearing. Who, uh, who, who, yeah. Who, who makes them? What about the craft of, of actually, you know, making these signs? How's that doing? Who makes them? Yeah. I'd, I'd, it, it, it is actually like apart from. The neon chip makers or the vendors, um, we have got like designers and also like metal work uh, people and then also like um, painters and then installers. So uh, it's, it, it, <laughs> I can't actually go into details because of the time limit, but if you want me to elaborate, I can. No, I'm just wondering. So, I mean, there, there, there are artisans or people who make them in, in, in Hong Kong. Yes, uh, yes, we have. Got and are they may still making a living or the, how are their numbers doing and so on? give you an example for example like the tube vendors um we only have got like less than 10 of them left and most of them uh they can't actually do it full time mm. it sounds like quite a serious drop yes yes and also because um of the unknown future uh not that many young people would want to actually like um learn this craft 
uh, and also when there is not much like enough demand, of course, like um, it's very difficult for existing cheap vendors to um, take apprentice on and then try to actually make a living for everyone, you know. Mm. I mean, actually, neon lights are quite kind of fashionable in other places, aren't they? At least, you know, in your home and things like this, and artists are using them uh, and so on. Is, is there a future there? Uh, I could actually see um, there is like a comeback um, uh, outside Hong Kong, inside Hong Kong as well. And that, that's, that's why like one of the, the most urgent uh, pressing um, issue for us or, or, or like uh, subjective sorry, objective for us is to, like, keep the craft alive. Otherwise, when when it's really, like, coming back, when people think it's really cool again, we won't have any artisans to actually create cheap, you know, mm. to make cheap. That's very important to us. I mean, we still have, you know, things like the 8 o'clock, what's it called? The light display. In, the light, yeah, the in, light show. The light show in, in, in the harbour. But that's all other... Uh, kinds of light, isn't it? LED lights and yeah. lasers and things. <laughs> is that just the future? Is that just that the the technology has changed and that's the kind of that's going to be? We're still going to be a city of light, but it'll be just a different kind of light. Well, I would like to hope we could actually combine the old and the new. You know, because like LED is the technology. There is no way we could actually um, uh, stop it. Uh, and also, but I would like people to actually. Uh, uh, to, to learn about the value and then the importance of neon, so we would actually be able to like merge these two or other mediums, you know, to create something new. I think like a healthy or sophisticated market should be able to embrace all kinds of like products or mediums. You know, we don't have to like uh, oh because we've got something new like the old have to pave the way, you know, uh, to make the way, you know. So um, I think they should be able to coexist exist like in harmony mm. well best of luck with it with your project uh, from the thank tetra so neon exchange thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, cardin chan there uh, one more comment on facebook from james who says uh, the mainland doesn't vaccinate older members of its society because it can't recommend that the vaccines they have are safe for them they would have to admit that mrna vaccines are effective in older age groups first therein lies one of the issues recognizing other vaccines than their own a different topic even when a recent study study from Public Health England shows how effective Pfizer is still is against the Indian variant that everyone's so worried about. And that's uh, from James. Thank you I very much indeed. We for learned that. from Ben on an earlier show that uh, the mainland's bought 100 million doses of, uh, of the BioNTech. Okay, yeah, I didn't know that. Right, thanks very much indeed for that. Uh, and uh, thank you very much indeed, uh, Mike. Here's the weather before we go. Sunny periods forecast for today with a few showers and some isolated thunderstorms. Temperatures uh, high up to about 34 degrees today. There's a very, there's already a very hot weather warning. Um, the outlook, very hot weather will persist in the next couple of days and there'll also be a few showers. Becoming cloudy in the middle and latter part of the week and more showers during the weekend. 30 Celsius, the latest readings, relative humidity is now at 81 percent the education bureau will hold the virtual information expo on multiple pathways 2021 on may 28th and 29th for hkdse candidates parents and teachers the expo features over 30 booths with information on sub-degree and degree programs, vocational and professional education and training programs, the Diploma Yi Jin program, relevant subsidy schemes and information platforms. There will be live talks too. The Virtual Info Expo can be accessed at virtualinfoexpo2021.com. 9.32, the news now with Samantha Mutlam.
The government says around 760 residents of a private block in Tai Kok Choi were tested overnight after a domestic helper who lives there became an untraceable preliminary positive case with a mutated strain of COVID-19. No new confirmed cases were found. Roundtable lawmaker Michael Teen says authorities should do more stringent COVID testing on arrivals, including for antibodies, to prevent any coronavirus cases leaking into Hong Kong. He said if this were done, Shenzhen authorities might be more likely to reopen the border. And the United States has strongly condemned the forced diversion to Minsk of a plane carrying a Belarusian opposition activist on an internal EU flight. The Belarusian government told the pilot to land in Belarus, claiming there was a bomb threat to the aircraft, then arrested the journalist and activist Roman Protasevich. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. The news is done and back chats through. And so it's time for the morning brew, yeah. Got special guests here in to speak To maybe help you plan your week, yeah They know just what is going on Around Kowloon and Old Hong Kong We've all been working with different concepts. Social media, they ridicule people, they come on the radio. Oh, he's that's tricky, he's a tricky one. But he's so eclectic. I think that this may actually save the royal family. So pass the word on right away. Pass the word on right away. Mid-mornings on our THK. Monday to Friday, every day. It's big, it's bad, it's just for you. Must have the kettle boiling too. It's Philip Whelan's morning brew. It's time now for the morning brew. Good morning to you, and welcome to a new week and a new day here on The Morning Brew. Phil Whelan here with you till 1 at 10.10. 10. We're going to begin with all the latest in the world of rugby, of course, with our man Robbie McRobbie. New York correspondent Tracy Quine is going to be with us after that with a weekly look at people, the arts, and, of course, the mayoral race right now. Moving on. So in the years after the Civil Rights Act of 1964, women in the workplace in America still found themselves relegated to secretarial jobs or locked out of jobs entirely. This was especially true in the news business. But when a pioneering non-profit called National Public Radio, that's NPR, came along in the 1970s and the door to serious journalism opened a crack, four remarkable women blew it off its hinges. Susan, Linda, Nina and Koki is journalist and author Lisa Napoli's captivating new account of these four women and Lisa joins us live from California at 11.10. She'll be on Facebook Live as well. Einstein, go, go. <laughs> 